Super Talk Mississippi media production. Taylor Swift is coming to New Orleans, and Margaritaville Resort Biloxi and Super Talk are giving away a free pair of tickets. For your chance to win, go register now at Margaritaville Resort Biloxi and get your name in for the final drawing from Margaritaville and Super Talk 103.1. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to Midday, Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this hump day. We are here, and it's a little windy out there, isn't it? Which, I mean, by the time it gets up into the 80s this afternoon, probably not going to mind having a stiff breeze. <laughs> what month is this? That would be the end of February. Okay. It's confused. It is the first day of Lent. It is after ending Mardi Gras last night, the Fat Tuesday celebration. Can we say that still? Fat Tuesday? We I'm need sure someone will be upset. <laughs> yeah, it ended at midnight last night, and that, of course, dovetails with the beginning of Lent. And of course, uh, that means we Catholics go to receive ashes on our foreheads, Ash Wednesday. The wind already blew (laughs) off, I think, walking into uh, Mass this morning and out, and then in the parking lot, a bit of a stretch. So, as we prepare for the Passion, Those of us who are Christians, we prepare for the passion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that's coming up, 40 days, Easter. That is where we are. So, you know, I told you guys that I was uh, hearing rumblings about a new potential candidate for President of these United States. It is official, Rhino. I'm so excited, I'm giddy. Vivek Ramaswamy. He is a candidate. He's 37 years old. Folks, if you are not familiar with Mr. Ramaswamy, he is an incredibly successful technology entrepreneur. And I think you will be impressed if you listen to him speak. He, of course, is of Indian descent. So this is two Indian Americans with Nikki Haley in the race. Mr. Ramaswamy, pardon me, is without question, in my view, my personal opinion, the most intellectual, the most articulate, 
the most effective common sense orator as a presidential candidate maybe ever. Now that's a lot. I know. It's a high bar. There have been several. How about in modern times? Yeah, I would say since the uh, the advent of maybe televised debates. That's fair enough. Six, 60s, right? Because I, I would argue that Eisenhower was pretty dang articulate, he was. pretty well-spoken. Agree. He was. It, it feels to me, though, that it's more important today than it was then because we weren't as wacko as we are today. So one of the things that got my attention right off the bat, folks, is his pledge to eliminate affirmative action across the federal government landscape. You got to have some spine to state that as a key issue in your campaign platform. He said, as part of his announcement, we've celebrated our diversity so much that we forgot all the ways we're really the same. So true. Bound by ideals that united a divided, headstrong group of people 250 years ago. I believe deep in my bones those ideals still exist. I'm running for president to revive them. That makes sense to me. Now, it's not lost on me that he probably doesn't have too great of a chance in this cycle. Not very well known. I'd submit that probably most folks that tune into this show didn't know who he was until we started talking about it. And what caught my attention, I guess it was over a year ago, Mr. Ramaswamy, is when he started exposing all of this ridiculous DEI stuff in corporate America that we discussed. You remember American Express denouncing capitalism. Oh, but give me money, give me money. It's ridiculously hypocritical. He exposed a lot of this stuff. Home Depot, to the chagrin of Home Depot's original founders, who were tried and true capitalists and believers in American free market systems. Mr. Ramaswamy wrote a book to expose all this nonsense. It's called Woke Inc. How appropriate a name is that? And it's chapter after chapter of accounts, research he personally did and paid for. Some of his assistance in that regard. He also wrote his most recent work, Nation of Victims. You talk about all the time, right? Oh, yeah. Victimhood is the social currency of seemingly half the country. It's a cult. It really is. So, Mr. Ramaswamy says, quote, faith, patriotism, hard work. Remember the Sandia Labs consultants. Sandia Labs, the company who produces this country's nuclear arsenal. One of the first to bring in consultants, no telling what they paid them, and their first task in their consulting 
project was to meet with all of the execs of Sandia Labs off-site. Not unusual to take executives off-site in the corporate setting. And uh, they call them retreats sometimes, that they refer to. And just get away from the office and be, be a little less structured and a little more open and have dialogue and valuable conversation, exchanges. Work on solving problems, making things better for the company, the staff, etc. But Sandia Labs <laughs> hires those consultants. <laughs> They're the ones who said, can-do attitude, hard work, rugged individualism, all elements of white supremacy. Mr. Ramaswamy is who exposed that. He says, faith, patriotism, hard work, and family have disappeared. He says, that's been replaced with what he calls, you'll love it, Rhino, COVIDism, <laughs> climatism, and gender ideology. If you question that orthodoxy, they call you a bigot, a homophobe, a climate denier, a racist. So true. He calls them the sacred cows. It's right, isn't it? COVID, climate change, gender ideology, CRT, affirmative action, all that stuff. Sacred cows. Can't touch them. This is psychological slavery. How perfect is that? And that's created a new culture of fear in our country that has completely replaced our culture of free speech in America. Look no further than the recent incident with Tiger Woods. Why did he, with all his fortune and fame, think that he had to apologize for an innocent, innocuous, funny, friendly gesture between two good friends? Because there's an entire legion of losers out there that have nothing better to do than harass whoever sponsors Tiger Woods for his unwillingness to prostrate himself before the sacred cows of wokeism. Unbelievable. It's, uh, Ramaswamy's right. Sacred cows. That's exactly what we shall refer to them as on this program. <laughs> Henceforth. I thought it was awesome. Again, I don't think Mr. Ramaswamy's going to win, but he will make waves. And I tell you, when he gets on the stage in a debate, he will mop the floors. He's already ahead of where Jeb was at this point. <laughs> With a, what, 200 million bucks in the bank? Please clap. <laughs> oh, gosh. we got to take a break right here. You can tell I'm excited about Mr. because he's going to call attention to this stuff more than anything. That's that's the biggest thing. Might not win, but in a future cycle, yeah, I think he's got a chance. Jermika Fonby, FBI special agent in charge, is going to be on the program next discussing the FBI Citizens Academy. At 12.05, we're going to continue our discussion with Representative Trey Lamar from last week. Stay with us. We're coming right back. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. 
I see what you did there, Rhino. We are back in the Element Wealth Studios. Our guest is Jermica Fahmy. Did I say that right? That's correct. FBI Special Agent in Charge here to talk to us today about the FBI Citizens Academy classes occurring in Jackson and in Gulfport. Uh, welcome to the show, Mr. Fahmy. Tell us about... Uh, uh, about the Citizens Academy. What is that exactly? All right, sir. First, thanks a lot for having me here. Uh, the Citizens Academy is, uh, somewhat as it sounds, it is an opportunity for citizens to learn about the FBI. Uh, it is uh, focused on uh, an extension of our community outreach program uh, as a collective, uh, and that focus goes into uh, really opening the doors, pulling the curtain back, and educating the public uh, usually through the means of identified leaders, whether they're religious, social, uh, civic, uh, or business leaders in the, in the community about what the FBI does and how we do our business. Uh, and what that does is really bridges the gap in, uh, in closing or closing the gap in the lack of understanding about uh, what we do and also helps to restore the trust in some situations, maintain the trust in other situations, and initiate it in some situations to uh, for we what we do as a customer service provider to the citizens of the nation, and for me specifically here in the state of Mississippi, is this a, is this a new program? It is not. Um, but and I'm you know I'm been here in Mississippi just a little bit over a year, uh, but since I've been here, this has been a big focus of mine, uh, and so it's far more publicized now, uh, and that's necessary because we need citizens to one to be interested in, in it, to understand what it is. Uh, and just use this also as another avenue for other expansions and extensions that we're doing uh, out. Um, so I talked about the Citizens Academy here, uh, and this is a focus on, again, leaders, uh, adult leaders in the community, but we're also looking to do those same things uh, with our youth. Uh, the We have the, the individuals who are already of, of influence, uh, as mentioned before, but now we're looking at our rising stars throughout the state uh, to, for us to be having an opportunity to be influential, influential on them uh, and to guide them along a path. And so we do that through our youth, through our youth academy as well as our teen academies. Hmm. Okay. So uh, what are the basic uh, qualifications or criteria for one to be selected for the program? So with the Citizens Academy, uh, we have an application process. I'll give you the website now. Of course, we'll do this again later, and that is to go to www. Dot FBI dot gov, gov uh, backslash Jackson and look on our, our uh, community outreach tablet. Uh, but the criteria is one to be someone that is uh, a leader in the community, someone who's focused on uh, being an ambassador, so to speak, to uh, to do things I described earlier. Uh, and then there's a nomination process. And so we look at things across the board. We look at um, different uh, connections to the community. Uh, points of influence in the community. When I say influence, not about power, it's about who can uh, help to cover the message uh, and drive those things forward. Uh, and it's, you know, and again, uh, acting as an ambassador from the community to do those things. Uh, and that's basically it. Uh, we have gone from getting the word out there to having a small population of folks applying to having a large number of applicants, which is what I want. Uh, and what I'm hoping to do that the need and desire becomes so strong that I'm forced to put on more of these programs to grow our our what we call the alumni and those are the graduates of it and those are the people who are of action they're the ones who really once it's done manage the charter and get out and speak on behalf of the community and drive things and engagements with the FBI 
So you sort of see them, once they graduate from this program, as to some extent serving as a liaison, perhaps as an ambassador, as just an information source uh, to the community with respect to what they learn about the FBI. That's one aspect of it. Okay. Um, I think the other aspect of it is, uh, is action. Um, and the alumni uh, chapter, what they have, the, they have the ability to do is to drive uh, first, the communication of what the community needs or wants with the FBI, and then we can put uh, events on or have engagements. Um, one of those things could be uh, something very similar to what you have uh, in the fall here in the state of Mississippi, and that is uh, National Night Out, where okay. law enforcement agencies, not just FBI, but other agencies come out, and we do engagements with the community to talk about things, to uh, listen, and, uh, and to also to be engaged. That doesn't have to be the only option that we have. So the alumni is an opportunity for us to do that. So citizens do to you know request that need regarding the, again the customer service that we provide to have engagements to do things that are that are not just about going out and doing arrests, right? Not just going out about um, investigations and so forth. But what else are we doing uh, as extensions of of service to the community? Um, because that's what it's about. It is strictly about service and. Uh, access uh, I think accessibility um, you know and engagement are very important parts of, of what we do uh, as FBI uh, as an organization and especially meeting those needs of the community by doing so how long uh, does the program last so we're gonna have two programs that we have scheduled so far okay uh, they're different here in the city uh, or the the metro metro area of Jackson which will be at our, at our field office and then we have one that's gonna be in Gulfport um, so the one in Jackson is a full, uh, full-fledged program that is going to be one night a week for six weeks, uh, and then our program is going to be condensed in Gulfport, uh, and that's going to be for uh, two and a half days. Okay. And then we're going to look to do the same thing throughout other areas of the state. So, um, and this is another thing that is really important for me is that we're not just looking at doing things that are easy here in the central part of the state, which is where uh, most of the government programs live and a lot of bigger companies are. Mm-hmm. We have people that, that need our support and need our ac- need access to us and need to, and we also need to have the ear, uh, and they have our ear uh, to be able to understand how do we do our job better um, and also understand what what we don't know. Uh, and some a lot of those things are lost because of lack of trust, and the lack of trust comes from lack of engagement. Uh, and so in the areas that we'll go, will be, you know, Golden Triangle down into the southwestern corner of the state. Um, we're going to go into the, you know, the Delta area as well as the uh, northern part of of the state, you know, this, which is basically just an extension of Memphis. Uh, but and see, all those areas have different have different demographics, they have different needs, have different uh, functions. And so we're going to try to meet those all uh, and meet them there. Gotcha. Uh, what's the deadline? How does one apply? What's the deadline for that, if there is one? So our, so this is very important to us. So we've extended the deadline, uh, even though we have, uh, you know, I will say enough applicants to do a class. Okay. Really wanted to, to really understand and publicize it a little bit more for the to uh, to ensure folks know about it. And so our we've extended it to this to next Monday, which is February twenty seventh. Uh, it'll be close of business that day, and again, going to that website of www.fbi.gov/jackson and going to our to our community outreach tab, uh, and they can apply. Okay. Um, and so it is. It is that simple. Put it on, uh, and then we'll be in touch. 
Okay. Um, is this something that maybe a, uh, a third party might nominate an individual to participate? This is as a good option. So uh, we do that. Uh, a lot of our military, I'm sorry, a lot of our FBI employees will be engaged with individuals they know from the community. Okay. Uh, which, which is important. Sure. Because that shows that we are, we're in touch with the community and we have contacts. Uh, and they can make nominations as well. Uh, but in that same process, we still have them go on to the website and do the official nomination. Okay. Uh, so, and you told me already, six weeks, so a day a week for six weeks. Yes, sir. And then uh, you're going to do two and a half in Gulfport, right? Yep, right. And, the, and that day of the week is uh, approximately three hours. Uh, and in that time, we have uh, a combination of presentations and then uh, dialogue. So the presentations will will be giving upon, you know, regarding the, our specialty duties such as SWAT, uh, our evidence response team, uh, civil rights matters, uh, public corruption, uh, violent crime, child, crime against children, and so forth. But then we also go into uh, open discussions where, uh, which is a key part, is where the citizens are able to ask questions uh, and, uh, you know, discuss and, and clear up things, uh, misnomers, and so forth. And then it's also very engaging from practical exercises. So uh, especially things like our a crisis negotiation, uh, the students will go, the participants will go through those scenarios and really see what it's like to have to engage and have a conversation with someone in a crisis-style situation, uh, recognize those challenges. So we're excited about that. Yeah. I just received a text from a, a good friend says that uh, participated in the academy, learned a lot in all caps, and had a great time. All right, great. pass that on. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on. No, thank you very much, sir. You got it. That's uh, uh, your... Jermica. Jermica. Got it right, yes. Fomby, FBI Special Agent in Charge, talking about the FBI Citizens Academy. We're taking a break right here on Middays, coming right back. With Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our shop on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. The Diablo Motors had a hell of a sale downtown yesterday. Work got around, no money down, take years and years to pay. When I got there, the lot was bare, but the salesman said, hold on. For a little cash, I got a two-tone hatch out behind my What the heck is that? If the devil danced in empty pockets, he'd have a ball in mind. <laughs> With a nine-foot grand, a ten-piece band, and a twelve-girl. Oh, man. I'd pay some loot and a three-piece suit, give him one day. There you go. If the devil danced in empty <laughs> pockets, he'd have a ball in mind. So... Nearly 30% of work in this country remains at home. This is ridiculous. Get your butt back to the office. Yes, I feel strongly about that. So do CEOs across the American corporate landscape. So they're trying to come up with something to make it work. It's a little difficult when, honestly, given the 
the, uh, the labor market, employees have the upper hand. It's the way the markets work. When you got to have a job and you're struggling to get gainful employment, you pretty much do what they tell you. On the other hand, when employers are seeking workers and the well is kind of dry, then they have to negotiate and give you what you want. It's amazing how that dynamic has worked pretty well for a long time. There, though there are some in this country that want to change that, working ferociously to do so. I don't know about this remote work stuff. <clears throat> so many companies have settled for three days in the office and two at home, hybrid workers. I just love the, the sob story you hear from the left about, well, some of these people... When they started working from home, they moved away from where they would normally be able to oh, commute. Geez. Like that's some sizable portion of the population that was moving across the country during COVID. We, I can't say the word I want to say about what we have evolved into. It would get us literally canceled, <laughs> cited at a minimum, right? Grow freaking up. Does Vivek Ramaswamy have it right with the book Nation of Victims? Is this not a stark example of that? I believe the safest word we could use is also the name for the Popeye character that loves hamburgers. Wimpy. Wimpy. <laughs> I'd gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. <laughs> That's so true. It is crazy. In the meantime, over there in the UK, they've been experimenting here too, some companies, but in particular in the UK. 60 companies and nearly 3,000 employees in the UK participated in a four day work study. Work four days. And now they're saying, we're not ready to go back for five days. <clears throat> and of course, many companies say they're seeing higher revenue, lower staff turnover. 90% now maintain they would keep the so-called experiment going. Several even plan to make this change permanent. Bloomberg reports that one in six workers who participated in the study, say no amount of money would persuade them to go back to a five-day work week. I'm telling you, it's that incumbency thing. It's that incumbency thing. That's what this is. So are we going to see this trend take hold here in this country? We already have a, a smattering of it. Are we going to see more? What do you think about that? I mean, I don't think I would enjoy that. We've gotten to the point where so many people just don't like work. In fact, there's a recent poll. 32, it's a Gallup report. 32% of employees said they were actively engaged at work or feeling passionate about their jobs, down from a high of 36% in 2020. Why don't people want to work? 
Is it because they can't find for what they deem fulfilling work, satisfying work? I think that's part of it. I think another bigger part of it is they have unrealistic expectations for the outcome of their hard work. I think you're right. And I, I do believe it's the incumbency. It's just been too easy. So the gravy train to continue. Hmm, Got to work. 18% of employees said in 2022 they were actively disengaged. In other words, they're disgruntled. Disloyal, that's the highest figure we've seen since 2013. Half of workers say, I'm just doing the bare minimum to get by. And you know what the problem is with the tight labor market, the bare minimum continues to drop. The floor for that continues to drop. No shock here, though. Young employees are feeling the most disconnected. Engagement for those under 35 decreased by four percentage points. Workers who were in jobs that could be done remotely were forced to work on site, saw an increase of seven points in active disengagement because the poor little babies had to go to the office to work. I do believe that this is to a great extent driven by this push for equity and this continuous narrative being foisted on especially our young folks that you're just a victim of everything. It's this bad place called America. Capitalism. It's true. Which the ultimate irony of that is the younger generation, if you ask them in a poll what they want to be when they grow up, It's a YouTube star, an influencer. Things that only exist in a capitalistic society. Right. Exactly right. Why can they not piece all that together, connect the dots, apply some Because they haven't been spoon-fed it yet. Ah. So... Critical thinking is sorely lacking. Big time. Well, especially when you you don't grade tests. Or you let them take tests. We don't issue grades. You take it till you like it. It'd be like me standing up on the first tee and hitting the, uh, the so-called mulligan, as we call it, in golf. Just hit one till you like it. Same deal. Oh, that pass was incomplete? We won't charge you that down. You get to do it again. Infinitely. Till you complete it. And get rid of that scoreboard while you're at it. How can these people not realize that competition is innate to humans? The drive to excel and compete and win. That's what drives us. Will you take that away? So that there is no incentive. Why do that? Just like you said a minute ago. It doesn't change the outcome. It's got to be equal no matter what. Miss Yunmi Park, who we've been talking about on the program, said, yes, what I left in North Korea, now I'm finding it here. We made, we got some sound here from, <laughs> listen to this teacher talking about her new, um, her new lunch approach. 
Hi, Miss Luna, activist teacher here again. And I just wanted to share with you guys about how I am starting a new uh, communist lunch program in my classroom. So what I've been noticing is that my white privileged kids, they have much better lunches than my BIPOC students. So I wanted to make sure everything was more equitable in my class. So we started having a communist style lunch. So what I do is I ask all of the kids to put their lunches all together, um, every item of their lunch inside of a basket. And then at lunchtime, I distribute it all equally to them so that they can all have um, a uh, more equitable lunches. And I have this one white privileged student and he's always complaining to me that he's getting the hummus and carrot sticks while the other kids are getting, the BIPOC kids are getting the six pack of Oreos. And I tell him, you know, even though I am doing my best to make this equitable, we also have to make up for 300 years of oppression. Communist lunches. Oh, that's nice. Can you believe this is being foisted on our youngsters? This lady's not alone. And if you, by the way, if you noticed her, her speaking was a little bit muffled. That's because she's got the obligatory mask on there. I think it may be a BLM mask. Is that what it is, Rhino? That's what it looks like. <laughs> she's serious. Put all your Sitting lunches. in a room by herself, filming herself, talking <laughs> nonsense, and being a blithering idiot with a mask on by herself. <laughs> Tells you everything you need to know about her classroom and how good she is at her job, being we're, a blithering idiot. We're letting these people interact with our children, our most precious resource. We've got to stop this. That's why we need Mr. Ramaswamy. We're taking a break here with Paul Simon bumping us out. Coming right back. Properly set all controls before recording. All systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Yeah, while we're here talking about this destructive equity movement, the race lady over there at MSNBC, Joy Reid, Morning Joy, she's slamming DeSantis' war against woke ideology. <laughs> are we surprised by that whatsoever? Negative. We are not. <laughs> well, we've got a naysayer on the ceasefire text line that believes we just make up the word woke. Really? Jeff in Forest County, this made-up word, quote-unquote, woke, is just an excuse by the far right for bad manners. It's like Eddie Haskell's taking over. I weep for the future. Your mother should have taught you better. I see. Well, uh, Jeff, we disagree. We didn't make it up here. We, we've repeated a word that has been since made up in our culture. It's, I think it started out as slang. Oh, yeah. It was in the uh, spoken word prologue of a lead, be lead belly song in the late 30s. Gotcha. Telling people to stay woke. Gotcha. 
So, um, Jeff, do you not believe that there is a significant push in this country and a massive amount of money being spent on gender ideology, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts across the public and private sector? That there are not enclaves of pro-communist Marxist professors and instructors in our educational institutions? Do you believe Miss Yanmi Park, whose story we shared, whose video we shared, do you believe she's just telling a lie that that's really not happening at Columbia University? Do well, you be- Jeff and the other leftists don't like inconvenient truths that don't go with their narrative. Well, <clears throat> that's fine, but then they're missing out on reality. Well, yeah. The entire left is devoid of reality. That's why they think men can menstruate. Exactly. They absolutely, or have babies. Right? So, I noticed in looking through the uh, Medicaid.gov website, I had an interest, and this was in preparation for the health care panel discussion that I moderated yesterday, about postpartum Medicaid. And I wanted to dig in a little bit more into Medicaid's coverage of one of the groups, which is pregnant women whose income is below, um, I think it's 150% of the federal poverty level, if memory serves correctly. And so I dug through that. I noticed that in accordance with an executive order that Joe Biden signed off on, executed early on in his presidency, that the word people has replaced female or expected mother or mother. It's pregnant people. Because, of course, more than just biological females can get pregnant. Now, Jeff may disagree. I would put that in the woke category. For like, how many non-biological females out there, and they're really biological females anyhow, let's be honest, that don't identify, that's the caveat, the, um, uh, the qualification to that description. A biological female who identifies as something else. absolutely can bear a child, become pregnant. But a biological male that identifies as a non-male, something else? Explain to me how that works. Does that work? No. Is there any sort of surgical procedure? Is there that could that could, I guess, make changes to the male body, they would need ovaries, right? Ovaries, a uterus, a a birthing canal, a wider pelvis. Can they do all that? Is such surgery available? I don't know about the pelvis thing, and I doubt they can implant a uterus that would actually be able to give birth. Well, wouldn't you have to transplant ovaries somehow? 
Can you do that? Theoretically, I, don't know. I think if you had a viable uterus implanted that then could give birth, they could then use artificial insemination. That's a little different, though. You're being impregnated by artificial insemination, not the natural way where you you have ovaries in your body. But that's under the assumption that they could actually implant a viable uterus, which Correct. I don't think has ever been done. The fact that we're even talking about it just tells you how insane this culture is. Because this is being talked about. That's why we're, we're discussing it. And it's taken over our culture. And Jeff says, it's just not. It's a fig. It's a QAnon theory. We're coming right back. Oh, yes. The noted notoriously far-right <laughs> BET put out a documentary on wokeism. Oh, gosh. Stay with us. And now. And now. Another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Middays, hour two of the program on this. Huh. Day. Gerard and Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com. And uh, you need to talk to them because the markets are going crazy. You seen that? 957-6006. That would be the number to call to speak to the Element Wealth folks. Yesterday, a huge sell-off. Investors not happy about the prospect of the Fed continuing its tightening of interest rates, not really getting the information they want to see on the inflation front. And, uh, of course, the market also consuming some rather tepid guidance from major retailers who are reporting this week. Today, who reported today? Was it Target, maybe? Somebody, one of the retailers did report this morning, and it was a little better than earlier in the week. NVIDIA, I think, reports after the bell. And with the with the analysts saying there's a decline in the demand for some big-time data center equipment, the uh, prospects for NVIDIA's results and their guidance aren't looking real rosy. So I think that's weighing in on the market. It's up right now 44 points, but yesterday at the close it was down 700. Huge sell-off. I did see an analyst this morning predicting a 26% decline in the S&P by the end of the year. That would be a meteoric (laughs) decline, as they say. I certainly hope that doesn't happen. A lot of folks would be unhappy looking at their 401k plans, investment accounts, etc. But That's a function of uh, this rather turbulent economy. We would have to call it the Biden economy. He's running around the country telling us how great everything is. But Americans' personal experience is different than what the president is telling them. Though that's not a surprise. Most of the time, virtually anything he says is inconsistent with reality. I think that's fair to say. I'm watching the video now you showed me yesterday, Rhino, of Governor DeWine in Ohio and some of the others there 
it looks like political officials, drinking the water out of a red solo cup in East Palestine, Ohio, site of the chemical spill. And it's crazy because just a couple of clicks away there, clicks on your feet, I'm looking at video of nearby streams with dead fish in the bottom of them. But it's okay to drink the water. And they just seem to have their head in the sand about what truly happened there. Flyover country. They voted for Trump. We don't even need to help them. It does make you wonder, at a minimum. I know that's crazy, but maybe the president could have gone there as a priority over going to Ukraine where he's basically committing more money and yucking it up with President Zelensky. It's more of a photo op than anything. So you've got residents of this small town still concerned about the drinking water, the soil, the air, their property, their children, all justified. But we seem to have a government that doesn't hear them. You just wonder if this were, if the makeup of this town, in the name of equity, were of a different profile, different different demographics, would it change things? You wonder. They won't go to the border, and you know why they won't go to the border? Because cameras would be there. And if cameras were there, guess what they'd see? All the chaos that those of us with vision and human senses are squawking about. They don't want that to happen. They're not there. No video. No exposure. Again to reality. Well, they can just sit back and claim everything's cool. That's what's happening. Sad deal. Truly is. On the ceasefire text line, which of course is a 609, 601-879-4395, I'll tell you exactly the pinpoint precise reason no one is enthusiastic or passionate about work. It's because no one is allowed to actually, in all caps, do their jobs anymore for all the red tape. When's the last time you were went to a store and had a salesman, salesperson, <laughs> salespeople. We can't say salesman anymore, can we? I'm joking, of course, but it is ridiculous when you think about it. When, when's the last time you went to a store and had a salesman actually get to sell? Quote, sorry, ma'am, you have to speak to a manager, is what you hear. Red tape, overly stratified management, leaders who have never followed, too many chiefs and no Indians. Oh, I don't think you can say that either. And risk of frivolous lawsuits are the thing that have ruined, in all caps, the American dream of having a job you love. It's not laziness. It's the fact that society allows one bad, bad egg to ruin it for everyone. I do believe there's a lot of truth to that. What's being said there, reported there on the text line. Although I still do believe that government benefits and, and government, to a great extent, 
demonizing employers and, and uh, claiming victimhood for workers. Continuously you hear this messaging. I do think that plays a key role. It's uh, if you can stay home and enjoy a pretty decent lifestyle, not work, and if you're constantly told that you're aggrieved, that you're a victim, that you're in some class of being suppressed and oppressed, and that there's a whole other class that is considered the oppressors. And just like this teacher's video we played, it's so inconsistent with what they tout, what they promote, which is inclusion, yet the first thing they do is break people down into groups. Yeah, it's hard to be equitable when you put your thumb on the scale. Which is what ha what's happening, what she talked about. So what did she call them, the white privilege students versus the... The, um, the BIPOC. BIPOC. Yeah. So it's just dividing people into groups. I thought we were supposed to be including and uniting. How can you do that when you parse the entire lot of society into little categories, little silos like that, of their design? They're the ones that determine which one you go in. Welcome to the world of the left's circular logic. It truly is. It is in conflict, though. This is why I think We'd be way better served if we replaced all these DEI organizational units and all those efforts with what I call departments of exclusion. Your job is just to find out if anybody's being excluded exclusively on the basis of some immutable characteristics. If it's got to do with performance or merit or achievement, that's not exclusion. You just didn't make the cut. That's the way it works. By the way, Mr. Ramaswamy is a huge proponent of restoring achievement and merit as the basis for advancement in society. Even wants to institute such policies with respect to immigration. Imagine that. You want to come here? What you got to offer to make this a better country? We cannot be the asylum safety net for the whole dang world. And you know why that is even the case? Because those countries they're fleeing, they're doing exactly what this teacher wants. They're the ones just pushing all this crap. The Politburo is what it is. We're trying to be more like them. Why do you want to come here? That's basically what Miss Yonmi Park says. I came here looking for freedom. I found a, a, another, essentially an enclave, a, an environment that reminded me of North Korea. That's what I left for. It's crazy. One of my favorite songs right there, by the way, Kenny Loggins. It's from, it's from a movie. Of course, he made a bunch of songs for movies. Sly Stallone was in the movie, I remember. What was the name of the movie? Can't remember. You see it? Meet me halfway. We're coming right Over back. Over the top. That's it, yeah. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Nick, listen, 
talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we are back in the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. You know, there's lots of ways to follow the show, of course, over the air on the Super Talk app, Super Talk TV. It's channel 70, I believe, is it not? On C Spire TV. Right next to the Weather Channel. Yeah. I, I talk to a lot of people that actually tune in to us on video, onto the show, watch it live on C Spire TV. Of course, the app works great uh, on the website, of course. We're also, you can find us on TuneIn, for example, in some of the streaming services. So we're all over the place, man. We got it going on. Ace Hardware, the only store that will help you and I pay more to shop there, says Jay and Brandon. You know, I, I honestly find, for the most part, when I'm shopping in various stores, be they local or national, I find the service around here to be pretty good. I, I know it's each individual would have their own set of experiences there, but overall, seems to be pretty decent. I definitely agree that <clears throat> we've we've got this oversensitive culture, over-litigious culture, micromanaged organizations. I agree with that, and a lot of the micromanagement comes from the excess litigation, frivolous excess litigation. And you're afraid to pick your nose. Seriously. You may call somebody by the wrong pronoun. Can't have that. That's how crazy stuff's gotten. Rich and Biloxi says, please don't play that teacher's video. I don't need my blood pressure medicine to be overworked. It is maddening, isn't it, isn't it Rich? What's maddening is that She's not like this unique outlier. That's what's really maddening about it. This is more pervasive than I think we typically would believe. It's like we've gone backwards to a great extent, and it's disturbing. It's especially disturbing as we're teaching this to our children. It's, it's almost as if somehow we're atoning for teaching the virtues of hard work, sacrifice, delayed gratification, can-do attitude, punctuality, maximum effort, learning from mistakes to get better, continuous improvement. No, but that makes life a little more difficult, and you can't have that. Hmm. Everything's got to be easy and equitable. Yeah, and if that were the case, again, this incumbency, I think, is at play. If that were the case historically, we'd still be living in caves, rubbing sticks together. That's not hyperbole. Whatsoever. Federal Judge Jordan did a 
C-L-E. Oh, that's probably continuous education, I assume there, Mike from Madison. The other day, and he discussed how the number of lawsuits in federal courts are notably down in the past couple of years. I doubt frivolous lawsuits are the problem. Well, that's interesting, uh, Mike. I'm, But I wonder, if, Mike, if that's because of the, the rash of those we had for so long that have has, have prompted all these changes in corporate America that our other listener was discussing that's caused the, the um, customer service to decline for fear that you might do something that would result in a frivolous lawsuit. The coffee was hot. It burned my tongue. Remember that one? Some nut drove through the McDonald's years ago, sued McDonald's, and got money, as I recall. Received compensation. Yeah, that's often used as an example for frivolous lawsuits, but in that situation, the lady that burned herself on the coffee was simply asking for payment of medical bills. I think the better example of a frivolous lawsuit is the burglar who broke into a home while a family was on vacation via a skylight and then found themselves locked in the family's garage for the week they were gone on vacation and had to survive on dog food and hot diet coke. The burglar then sued and won for false imprisonment against the family who was out on vacation. Oh my gosh. There you go. Hmm. Well, so I'll take your word for it there, Mike, if a, if a judge is telling you that. Uh, but I'm a little surprised that it's down, but I do believe that to a great extent it's because we've likely implemented all these safeguards that have got us all locked down to the point you can't do anything, that the stuff you really need to be doing for fear that it might drive a frivolous lawsuit. Maybe that's why it's down. Goal achieved. You, you've made us all miserable <laughs> as a result of a few people who want to exploit and game the system. Because they will. I think that's absolutely the case. Deborah on the ceasefire text line sent in a, an article of something I showed you yesterday after the show. Yeah where an Ohio pizza shop is catching all kinds of attention because they put up a big sign, a big red and white banner sign out front that says, Now hiring non-stupid people. (laughs) That's awesome, isn't it? Apparently they had several new hires that just decided, You know what? Even though you hired me, I'm not showing up. Hmm. So Kenny and Greenwood sent us a rather lengthy text here. I've read it a little bit. I've kind of scanned it. It's pretty long. Might have to catch it at the break. What's the gist of that, Rhino? You read it too? Seems to be a uh, it looks like frustration they there. Sent it also last night, and uh, Gallo chimed into him to say they might want to listen at seven o five, and it says they missed at seven o five. Is there another way to listen? Okay. Yeah, you can go to supertalk.fm. And check out the on-demand section. Click on Gallo, and you'll be able to hear his 705 segment, and that might help you. I got you. Okay, so I, I think that, that uh, let's see, Kenny is looking for some way to express his opinions on some things, to weigh in. Uh, 
and it, uh, it seems like it's rooted in this this movement in society where white people are blamed for everything. Is that is that what you see as well? I don't want to misrepresent yeah. Kenny here. It, it bothers me too, Kenny, and it's it's because it it seems to work politically. I think that's the bottom line: is that as long as that garbage works, then opportunistic politicians, they're going to seize upon it. They're going to leverage it for personal political gain. That's, I think, a fundamental flaw in our system, that some of this stuff works, and the grievance industry is alive and well. There's no doubt about it. And it, it seems like that we, we have evolved in our culture and our society away from the traditional idea of personal responsibilities. What We just read it from Mr. Ramaswamy. He says, we got to go back to that. And you're not responsible for anything. Something or someone else or some environment is responsible for your fate in life, not you. And until, and we're teaching that to kids and students. So they come out of school thinking that. Which, that psycho babble's been on the table since the mid-90s, if not earlier. Agree. But it's been ratcheted up rather significantly. Oh, yeah. It went from mommy and daddy didn't hug you or say I love you enough to it's obviously systemic racism that's keeping you down. Right. Well, it's the whole idea behind critical race theory, that racism is, a, is systemic, inherent, is a social construct not a product of individual biases, that all of our institutions, all of our systems are inherently racist and all the other misogynist and homophobic and xenophobic and transphobic. and I may miss some because there's a bunch that keep adding to the list. And so everybody, again, is a victim, is aggrieved. It's why Ramaswamy wrote the book, Nation of Victims. It's exactly what he says. He's so right. But when that's foisted on you from an early age, you're likely to wind up as an adult, certainly a young adult in your 20s when you're entering the workforce, thinking that way. I would argue you're not likely to be a very productive individual. It's hard to point to any leftist that's actually productive. Because it seems like producing is not consistent with their worldview. It's more of um, receiving, being a member of the recipient class. That's consistent with leftism. Coming right back here on Middays, Representative Trey Lamar at 1205. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Camp. 
Back with you in the Element Wealth Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. It's middays. We've got Representative Trey Lamar joining us on the program at 12.05. Going to get an update on the status of eliminating the income tax in Mississippi. It is, you've probably heard on our news feed there during the break. Looks like it ain't going to make it this year. I may have misunderstood. I thought that what Kelly said in her soundbite there, her news update, that presently the income tax is scheduled to be eliminated over 12 to 14 years. That's not the case. That's the proposal. But right now we have elimination of the 4% bracket went into effect this year, and then reducing the 5% bracket down to 4 over the next three years. I think that's all we got right. last year. So I may have misunderstood, though. We've got Representative Trey Lamar coming on to unravel all the details there about where we stand. And we'll also talk to him about another tax matter. Of course, he chairs the Ways and Means Committee, so this is something that uh, he oversees, this sort of legislation. One is to it's been a flaw in our tax code for some time here in Mississippi, where immediate expensing of capital equipment, capital investments available at the federal level has not been available at the state level. Thus, there that's what's called a reconciling item between a taxpayer's federal return and state return. So for a sub-S corporation, which, of course, would be a, a, a company that is uh, has an ownership which pays taxes, receives the income from the corporation through various reporting mechanisms, and then pays taxes as an individual. The corporation itself of, a, of an S-corporation does not remit income taxes, federal or state level. It, it's what's called a pass-through entity. It flows through to the owners based on their ownership percentage, their equity position in the company, and then they pay taxes individually. Contrast that to a C corporation, a traditional C corporation, all the public companies, large corporations, and they're going to be C corps mainly because they've got diverse ownership, stockholders, and they operate across multiple states. So they would be structured legally as a C corporation, they would, in fact, pay corporate income taxes. It's different. The, the income doesn't flow to the individual owners, shareholders, who would then pay taxes on the income of the company. No, the company does that in accordance with corporate tax rates. So, so this legislation that I was there yesterday at the Capitol when it, when it passed in the House, fixes this reconciliation on immediate expensing of capital equipment that would matter to S-corporations, small, mid-sized businesses located in the state of Mississippi. So that's good. And we'll talk to Representative Lamar about that. There's a big old storm coming through the Midwest and the Northeast later on this week. It's going to stay north of us. We're going to be comfortably warm here, right, in the 80s. But, wow, there's a major winter storm that threatens to produce an historic snowfall 
in the Midwest as the cold front sweeps across the country on the jet stream there, which, and I think that's what's going on. You got the jet stream draped across the center of the country, and that'll be carrying the Arctic air uh, almost on a straight line from west to east, paralleling, if you can imagine, the the southern part of the country and staying well above us with the jet stream splitting the uh, the air masses. But they're talking about blizzards and record snowfalls. You seeing that? It's incredible. Yeah, anywhere from what they're calling a moderate two to six inches to I think the highest amount of snowfall I've seen predicted so far was they were predicting up to 14 inches in some places. Wow. Well, that's a bunch of um, that's a bunch of snow coming through, and yeah, I'm looking at it right now. That low kind of starts out in the in the Kansas Nebraska area and just goes straight through the eastern seaboard, sort of split between uh, Philadelphia and New York. There, it's going to be something. Great Lakes, you know, that's going to blow it all up up there as well. On the ceasefire text line, I agree. Kids need hugs and kisses, but you need to throw in a few ass whoopings, too, just to keep things equitable and balanced, says Jeff and Carrollton. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of truth to that. No doubt about it. Uh, what does Jerry in Waynesboro says? I can't process all of this. I do, however, predict even if after multiple appeals it makes its way to the Supreme Court, they will fold like a cheap lawn chair What's he talking about there, um, Jerry in Waynesboro? What's he is he discussing the link that he sent us there? Is that what that is? While you're looking at that, each time I hear about equity of outcomes, I keep recalling the short story Harrison Bergeron by Kurt Vonnegut. Just wondering who will be the first handicapper general, says Rich in Biloxi. Yeah, I can see the comparison there. Are y'all still cheering for the market to tank to stick it to Biden and the Dems? Hmm. Rhino, have I ever cheered for the market to tank? No. Pointing out Biden's failures is not cheering for the market tanking. Right. But Given you can't tell that to a leftist. They must not know me very well. You see? They don't know much very well. <laughs> okay. If I haven't made it clear... I hope you don't take this the wrong way, and if you do, I don't care. I like money. Is that a problem? No. I just want you to know that. So I have significant assets tied up in wealth. I'm not bragging about that, but why would I want it to tank? You think that I'm more interested in seeing Biden lose than I am building wealth? You don't know me very well. I would argue that's the way the vast majority of people in this country think. We just want him to quit doing crap that causes the market value to fall. This texture's response just shows how willfully ignorant they are. You literally did yesterday. Y'all were giddy on poor stock market reports. Do y'all talk about the days the market does good under Biden? Don't believe so. That's completely false. I was giddy. Tell us you don't actually pay attention or listen without telling us you don't actually pay attention or listen. Giddy? At a 700-point market loss? Are you kidding me? I'm giddy about that? 
I like to look at my wealth accounts and see the amount of money I lost on a given day. Who does? You know what most people say? I'm just not looking at it. Because they get depressed. Like I said, leftists don't exist in reality. They live in this weird utopia. They think they can fabricate out of nothing. And then says, do you talk about the days the market does good under Biden? You see, this, the, this is the difference. I don't give a rip who the president is when I'm looking at the market. In fact, if we return to the constitutionally appropriate functions of government, the president shouldn't make a rip of difference about the market. That's the whole problem. whole problem is we got a, a government, a Joe Biden and the Democrats, who have the hubris, the arrogance to believe they are better equipped to manage a $22 trillion economy than the market. I'd like to never have to worry about whoever the hell the president is with respect to my personal wealth or the wealth of Americans. Not, not about me or the market. Unfortunately, they do because we got idiots in there that do stupid stuff and they don't care if it hurts the market because they are foolish enough to believe that the market only affects rich people. They do not have a clue at how the performance of equities has an effect on every person. They cannot sort that out and connect the dots because they don't understand basic economics. Don't want to. Yeah, we can get fired up about that, because that's just false. Man. Like the vast majority of texts we get from leftist liberals and idiots. The day I celebrate a 700-point decline in the Dow, Rhino, I want you to come over here, pick me up, put me in the car, and take me to the mental institution. I'm sick. I don't care who the president is. It's hilarious how y'all don't think you're biased at all. It's an opinion show! If you don't like it, there's two knobs on your radio. Turn either one of them to the left. You won't have to worry about it anymore. Because we know you love the left. So just turn them both to the left. But you're not, right? You're not biased one eye No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> We're coming right back. Stay with us. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. album was that from? Was that from the Bad Company? Bad Company or Bad Company Good Rats? Wasn't that one of the albums? Good tune. That was from Straight Shooter. Oh, okay. That, that was after the other two, I believe, in the discography. 
So a friend just texted me wanting to know if my blood pressure was rising. <laughs> you know, there's probably nothing gets me more fired up than just this onerous, overarching intervention of government into the private sector. And, and that's not to say that every private sector entity is noble, is, is without fault. It, it doesn't engage in some sort of negligence and cause problems. Of course they do. But you know what? We have a, a legal system to address that for remedies. This, who was it? Norfolk Southern? Is that the rail lines? Yeah. I think if you did some investigation, and I'm, I'm sure there's some requirements to do so, maybe they're at fault. There's some ne negligence, and the lawyers used to tell me there's negligence and then there's gross negligence. And there is a legal distinction. Gross negligence, you're hosed. Negligence, yeah, you got a problem, but you could probably remedy that, recover from it. Gross negligence, you know, usually with malice or just terrible performance and really just ignoring best practices and operating various aspects of a company, yeah, could be construed as gross negligence. You know, in my industry, what my attorney used to say is, as an example, running a data center like we did with all the gazillions of devices in there. and You know, if your engineer made a mistake in configuring some device, server, storage, virtualization, operating system, tools, application software, go down the list. And just in their configuration, in their setup, in their management administration, made a mistake. Shouldn't have made it, but made it, caused a problem. That's negligence. Your engineer goes under the floor of the data center with the racks and racks and racks of equipment with a sledgehammer and starts pounding it because they're mad about something? That's gross negligence. That's the way you would describe it to me. It made sense to me. Okay, I got it. We don't want to make any mistakes. We, we don't ever want to cause a problem. The goal is... Our goal was, uh, in the industry, it's the vaunted five nines, is what it's referred to, 99.999% uptime, no interruption. That's always the goal that you aspire to, all such operations do. And sometimes you'll stipulate that in your contracts, and if you don't achieve that level of service, you start crediting customers. Check out your phone bills. You actually have that there, your telecom services. It's in the fine print, and it's pretty complicated, but if you're without service for a period of time, you have, actually do have a remedy, and that's a credit, and that's limited. It's not like you're getting damages for it. You'd have to file a lawsuit for that. And I, I know I'm off on a tangent a bit here, but th again, we don't need government. I don't want Joe Biden making moves that affects the stock market. I, unlike, I believe, regardless of what Jeff says here, I do believe there are a lot of people on the left 
during the Trump years that wanted to see Trump fail. They, they were absolutely okay if that hurt Americans, if it harmed Americans, if that meant they could get Trump out of office. You think that's the case? Asking your opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, Trump derangement syndrome still runs rampant on the left. And that's not a statement in favor of Donald Trump. I'm just making an, a, offering an opinion, an analysis. It sure seemed like that to me, where they would celebrate the bad fortunes of Americans in this country. It's Donald Trump. I disagree with Biden's policies. Make that clear. And I'm happy to dig into the details of those specific policies and what's wrong with them and the ultimate consequences of those policies. Fair game. But yeah, when a president's out there saying, these corporations got to pay more, we got to raise taxes. We got to get rid of this immediate expensing thing. We need a stock buyback tax and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's bad policy and it affects the markets. Stay the hell out of the way. Let the markets do their thing. Buyers and sellers, they're pretty smart, it turns out. Junk fees, for example. Why do we need the government involved in that? Coming right back with Representative Trey Lamar. Stay with us after the news. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Rocking into hour three of middays on Super Talk Mississippi here in the Element Wealth Studios on this hump day. Joining us now, Representative Trey Lamar. He serves as the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, represents District 8 up in uh, North Mississippi. Good to see you there, Representative Lamar. Hello, Gerard. I appreciate you having me. Yes, sir. So you and I last spoke last week had a great conversation appreciate uh, all the insight when we were focusing on the bill that would expand expand the capital complex improvement district also known as the CCID and one question we didn't yeah. get to do on the air that you were kind enough to uh, send me a text uh, response to is how and you're the you're the author the sponsor of this bill how did you select this particular area of the city of Jackson for expansion of the CCID? Well, Gerard, I'll, I'll say first and foremost, as I said on the floor, you know, uh, when we spoke earlier and to several media outlets who've asked that question, that part of the bill um, is up for debate. Okay. I'm not married to what we proposed, but the, um, you know, and the Senate may very well change that. But what we were thinking was really twofold, that the law enforcement officers of the Capitol Police uh, need to have well-defined geographic boundaries for jurisdictional purposes. You can't have a, uh, a district where they have jurisdiction that just zigzags 
you know, on one block they may have jurisdiction, the next block they don't. So we began looking at that and we, uh, meeting with uh, the commissioner uh, of the Department of Public Safety, he said he would much rather, and I agree with him on this, that, that he would much rather the district look like a triangle as opposed to a star or something like that. So that's what we looked at and then that's where we came up with uh, what really looks like a rectangle in what we drew, which is uh, Highway 80 to the south, State Street to the west, County Line Road to the north, uh, and the Pearl River to the east. Uh, so that's that's number one. And then number two, um, there's been a request from uh, a lot of the business groups. And if you look at Jackson, a big part of Jackson's you know economic engine is up and down I-55. I-55 is the really the, the, the front door, the main corridor into the heart of downtown Jackson. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of people who just feel like it makes sense to have the Capitol Complex District uh, travel that I-55 corridor. But okay. uh, again, um, you know, again, that's, that's up for debate and we'll see what the process unfolds as it goes through. Sure. And, and so the idea, I believe, Representative Lamar, would be that the City of Jackson Police Department would be able to reallocate its police resources to the remaining area of the city of Jackson that would not be part of the Capitol Complex Improvement District, that the CCID would be patrolled by the Capitol Police. Is that correct? That's exactly right. I mean, I, I think to, to point out, nobody's taking jurisdiction away, uh, or the bill does not take jurisdiction away from uh, the Jackson Police Department. But what it would do would be allow them to uh, focus their efforts with which everyone knows are limited at this time. They, they are well short of uh, trained law enforcement officers on their staff um, and they, they've admitted that themselves. And so they would be able to focus their more limited resources in other areas of Jackson uh, and work in tandem with the Capitol Police so that really the whole city of Jackson uh, it has better uh, law enforcement services and ultimately um, you know improve safety all over the city. You know, I, I shared with you when you were on the program, which I believe was the day after uh, the, the the rather protracted debate there in the in the House, and um, yeah. and, and watch Representative Johnson and uh, the other um, members of the House offer a number of amendments. I believe all but one, perhaps, were uh, were didn't were not successful. I believe one was adopted, as I recall, looking at the history. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So that's correct. It seems like most of the opposition is not it does not involve the the Capitol Police having jurisdiction over that area, but more related to the judicial district and the fact that the bill would empower the Attorney General to appoint the three judges for the district and then um, is that is that a oh, Supreme Court the Supreme Court right uh, so yeah, yeah yeah and then the Attorney General the, the prosecutors Court, yeah. yeah please so that's what that's I heard it. that's where most of the objection was yeah so that, that's right I mean the objections really in two areas and one we already talked about is the boundaries you know, I would add that on the boundaries uh, of the CCID, again, those are up for debate. We can have that conversation. But the proposed um, the proposed uh, um, boundaries that the House passed for the CCID, uh, we looked at that, and those were approximately 55% African-American. So it's, it was a majority-minority district. That, that gets lost in the media. The media is not uh, reporting on that. 
Um, so that, that that's a, but that's factual. Uh, the, the second part, uh, uh, Gerard, as far as opposition goes, is the judicial uh, part of it. And I would tell you that when the CCID was founded back in 2017, or first, uh, uh, the, the very first authorizing legislation, there were those in the Jackson delegation at that time that were pushing for the CCID to have its own court system. In fact, there were even representatives from Jackson serving in this body at the time that wanted to be the appointed judge over the CCID. <laughs> and so this is not some just, you know, left wing, crazy, out of the blue uh, idea uh, that just came out of nowhere this year. This was discussed at the very beginning stages of the CCID. And at the time, we felt like it was best to, you know, take one bite of the apple at a time. Let's get it. <clears throat> let's get yeah. it founded. Let's see how it works. Uh, and then since then, you know, we've added the Capitol Police uh, to the uh, Department of Public Safety. We did that last year. And this is just another building block to continue to look at it. Uh, and there's a lot of requests. I met with a, a business owner in Jackson just this morning uh, who thanked the legislature and myself for what we're trying to do and, and said, please keep it up. You know, the future of Jackson really depends on on getting this crime situation under control. And, and they, they very much want to be included inside the new boundaries of the CCID. Uh, they're a, a business that's located along that I-55 corridor that we discussed. So, you know, going back to the judges, though, the, some of the opposition, Gerard, has been that, that it appoints judges. Well, there's a limited population in the CCID. And depending on where that boundary ultimately falls, you know, you, you're going to have a limited population to, to pull from. And so and on top of that, the CCID is not a city. It's not a county. Uh, you know, there's questions about how do you even have an election in that area? Who holds the election um, if you were going to elect the judges? Right. And so after much conversation and, and, and talk, we just felt like to get good judges, <clears throat> uh, to get judges in there that would do the job, uh, it would be best for the citizens of Jackson, the CCID, to have them appointed. Now, those judges may very well be from the city of Jackson or they may be from Hines County. That's certainly a very real possibility. I would suggest that that perhaps they need to be, but I don't think they should be limited to Hines County. Um, and on top of that, there is no legal requirement uh, in our Constitution or our statutory code that requires that inferior court judges be elected. Uh, there are multiple uh, occasions throughout the state of Mississippi where judges are appointed as opposed to elected, um, not to mention our entire federal judiciary. Right. Yeah, and I know there was a lot of pushback on that, uh, f feeling like that there was some some racial motivation, which is what the narrative the media has been running with, uh, honestly, is that this whole thing is racially motivated. And I, I believe that your conversation with a business owner uh, about this situation is fairly consistent and pervasive with the entire population is we don't really care. We just want the place to be safe and we want it to be that's prosperous right. and uh, and that's our primary concern and we want you know bad guys to be to be locked up when they need to be or that, that uh, the full extent of the law is, is imposed on them so they can get off the streets. That's right and let, let's talk about another angle to this as well. You know I, I, I sit as chair of Ways and Means which is um, you know I really a state uh, a state position we're not elected statewide but we uh, look at policy that affects the state as a whole and that's that's part of our job in this in our committee and so you know let's let's certainly don't forget 
the impact that a thriving uh, metropolitan area uh, in the city in in Mississippi, the impact that that could have on the state as a whole. Um, I mean, look at just some of our states around us. You know, some would say you can't compare us to, to Tennessee or Nashville, and I, I get it. But Nashville is not the only. Uh, metropolis that Tennessee has, right. uh, but if you don't want to compare us to Tennessee, compare us to Alabama. Uh, look at have you been to Birmingham lately? You've seen some things they're doing in downtown Birmingham. Have you been to the Huntsville area? If you don't think Alabama's a good comparison, drive to Arkansas. Go look at Little Rock. Have you been to Little Rock lately? Uh, look at what's going on in Little Rock. Yeah. They've got some great things going on. Um, All some really it. cool things in their downtown. A lot of redevelopment, a lot of, um, you know, millions and millions of dollars being reinvested into those cities. And we don't have that in Jackson. I agree. And if we did have that. Trey, we, um, I'm then, sorry, we got a break right here. Can you hang with us? I want to ask you about taxes. All right, we got Representative Trey Lamar on middays. Coming right back. Stay with us. That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Middays. Alan Jackson bumping into this, into this segment here on Middays. We are in Hour 3 of the program. Our guest is Representative Trey Lamar, chairs the House Ways and Means Committee. We were just chatting about this bill that Representative Lamar authored that would expand the Capital Complex Improvement uh, District. So I think all that makes sense, honestly, Trey, and, and um, again, witnessing the debate uh, in the House um, was a little off-putting because we, I just feel like we got to move away from this, this narrative, this default narrative that every action is driven by racism. And I, again, I think the average person out in the city of Jackson don't care. They don't care, honestly, who's in charge and who's doing what, as long as it's the right thing and as long as their quality of life is improved. Well, I'll, I'll flatly deny that, that this bill has anything to do with racism or has any racial intent whatsoever. Uh, it's just that's just absolute false. Um, and you know, you I do believe you're right, and I've said it many times over the last few weeks. The people of Jackson, by and large. And not to mention just Jackson, but the people of the state of Mississippi who want to be able to travel and visit their capital city don't care about any of those issues. They just they literally want to feel safe when they come here. They want to feel safe in their homes, uh, you know, and when they shop and they go to the store and they're out and about in Jackson. Um, and the, for several years now, they a lot of times have not been able to do that. We've got to change that perception if Jackson's going to grow and prosper. Uh, and so, you know, putting more resources into law enforcement, 
uh, and assisting the city of Jackson in that area, uh, and then also assisting the Hines County judiciary that is severely backed up uh, is is worth having a debate. And that's that's what we're doing over this bill. And we'll see where it uh, where it lands in the process. A question that you I just I just and I have this for I yeah. just don't think doing nothing is not an option. It's Agree. just not. Agree. Uh, judicial the judicial appointments again would be appointed by the Supreme Court four-year term is that correct uh, that's the current language in the bill that passed the house and again the Supreme Court appoints judges to hear cases all over the state there's there's three um, three special appointed judges sitting in Hines County right now that were appointed by uh, the Mississippi Supreme Court. It's it's nothing unusual. Uh, it happens literally every day across the state. Okay. All right. Well, it, so right now it's been transmitted to the Senate. I just checked on the status. It's in uh, j- uh, one of the judicial committees at this point, right? It's uh, that's right. It is in uh, judicial judiciary A in the Senate, and uh, that's chaired by uh, Senator Bryce. Um, and you know, I met with him yesterday and. I uh, look forward to uh, uh, he's very open to the bill, uh, and I think he's going to give it a fair look. And so I look forward to to continuing to work with the Senate to see how we can improve it and make it better. Okay. Is your feeling that the Senate will, in fact, pass the bill? I, my understanding, uh, based on our meetings, I expect them to make some changes. Let me say sure. that. And I, I believe there are some changes that could be made to help the bill um, be a better piece of legislation. That's that's why we have a process. A bill starts out uh, and it gets changed throughout the process. And the goal is to, to have a better uh, a better piece of legislation if and when that bill is enacted into law. And so, um, but yes, to answer your question, I, I do think the Senate will uh, make every effort to, to pass that bill um, and uh, continue that discussion. Okay. Uh, you serving, of course, uh, as chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. By the way, uh, our mutual friend Jeff Smith said to tell you, hey, I wanted to, wanted to pass that <laughs> on. <laughs> um, Hello, Mr. Chairman. Yes, sir. Um, so, trade taxes. So yesterday I, I watched the uh, you present the bill that would has uh, been needed for a long time, which would eliminate this this reconciliation required between federal and state taxes um, as it pertains to immediate expensing of capital equipment, capital sure. investment, and and so this bill would eliminate that reconciliation such that the state tax code would be consistent with federal treatment of uh, of those transactions. Uh, and it uh, that That's passed. Correct. There were some amendments offered. Uh, first of all, thank you, because as as a business person that had to deal with that, that's a royal pain, honestly, that was unnecessary. Um, and we should. That's one of those things where we should be consistent. And as much as we can get away from these reconciling items, as you well know, the easier is it to prepare tax returns, and the less money you spend on on tax preparation fees, etc. And you just have fewer problems in the disposition of an asset when you when you have that situation as well. So this was a good thing. Some amendments were offered. I couldn't quite tell what they were looking to do to amend the bill, all of which were defeated, I believe. Can you explain some of those? Yeah. So uh, the one particular uh, amendment that was offered was uh, dealing with um, 
really dealing with hospitals and healthcare, but yeah. it, it taxed literally everything you could imagine. Uh, I, I, the list was so long, I lost count of what all uh, they were going to tax in that amendment. But it was, you know, boats and four wheelers and guns and, and ammunition, bullets and you know, the list went on and on and on. Obviously, that this bill was not the place for that. So we we uh, easily, I think, even many Democrats voted against that amendment. That's the sort of shenanigans you see in Washington that aggravates everybody, though. Uh, you know, hey, we got something that's here right. that's going to go through. Let's just dump everything we can. And next thing you know, you got a three thousand page bill. And on the other side, people say, "What'd you do that for?" And nobody even knew. <laughs> that's Sort of what our process is at the state level is obviously a lot more open and transparent than that uh, because it can be. But that's kind of what that looked like to me. Well, I don't doubt it. I saw you up in the audience yesterday, and I, I, I was wondering what you were thinking when some of that was going on because <laughs> the House got off, got a little off track yesterday. We were reading bills there for a minute, and you know, debate got cut off, and so it, you know. The process is messy, yeah. but I will say this: the yeah. legislative process is intended to be messy. That's right. Um, you know, it's it was made that way on purpose. The because you know before before we had that process, you had a king. That's right. You know, uh, across the pond, who could just decide, hey, you know, off with his head, and that's that, that's that's thankfully that's not the government we live under today. Agree. So, and and I want to be clear: I'm fine with the process, just as you said. I I certainly understand that. Uh, and, and I think we got the right outcome here. That's the main thing. So we had the process, but we got the right, what I believe was the right outcome, which, which is it would have been inappropriate at a minimum to include some of those amendments in this bill that has absolutely nothing to do with this bill. And I, I, we start getting into trouble if, we, if we become, that becomes a regular practice. I think you'd probably agree with that. That's where the messiness needs some checks and balances, and we saw that yesterday. So appreciate I that. I certainly agree with that. All right, so and I'll say that like, that bill has got the potential to to really help um, help businesses and absolutely. help the economy, encourage uh, further investment into their businesses. So excited about that piece of legislation! Absolutely, and, and I've pointed this out many times uh, as well, Representative Lamar. This doesn't uh, eliminate or avoid income taxes. It, it just simply defers them. That's really what it does. You're just yeah. taking all that expense in this year rather than re- recognizing it over the useful life of an asset. You're not getting rid of any income tax liability. You're just changing the years in which it occurs is what it boils down to. That's correct. Alright, let's That's talk it. about total elimination of income taxes. Where are we on that? Uh, well, <laughs> We did not have a bill this year, uh, Gerard. At least one did not come out yesterday. Uh, I, I'll just tell you that's that's more of a timing issue. First and foremost, I have to say the Mississippi House of Representatives has, uh, on at least three occasions, maybe more, over the last several years, voted to eliminate the uh, the income tax in Mississippi. Um, and I don't question anybody's willingness to continue to do that. But there was there was a few members who had uh, questions about the timing. Um, this is an election year, uh, and so you know we've got a change in leadership going on in the House uh, after this year. There's just a heightened sensitivity, uh, I think, in the House right now. So you had a few members who 
would prefer to wait um, and that, you know, that's their prerogative. There, there are others that would like to go forward. Uh, I'd say the vast majority of the Republican caucus is, is on board with eliminating the income tax in Mississippi and continuing those efforts. Um, and I think you've got, uh, obviously, the speaker uh, wants to do that. He said that multiple times. And I believe Governor Tate Reeves wants to do that. I've had meetings with him uh, recently, but he's he's not been shy about that at, uh, at all either. And so, um, you know, those two gentlemen will continue to discuss it and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. But it, I, I remain committed to it. I firmly believe that income tax elimination, what I like to call the tax on work uh, and ending that in Mississippi is, is, is the best thing we can do for the Agreed. future of our state. Appreciate you coming on, Representative Trey Lamar. Thanks a lot. We'll see you down there, Trey. Appreciate it. Thanks, Gerard. You got Thank it. You. Bye-bye. Coming right back on Middays. Half an hour left. Stay with us. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbons on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Wealth Studios. So I learned about the fate of the income tax elimination pursuit yesterday. I was at the Capitol, and it was after the House session had ended. So the situation there is that the votes aren't in place to pass such legislation in the House, three-fifths are required. Three-fifths of the members must vote in favor of the measure. That is because it's a House bill. Uh, pardon me, a tax-related bill. Pardon me. And so, according to my calculations, Rhino, and you check me on this, it looks like you'd have to have every Republican, all 74, presently seated in the House to achieve the necessary three-fifths because the math works out to 60% and change, right. which is three-fifths. So I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that some Republicans who – we don't know who. And I wasn't going to ask Trey who. I don't think he'd tell us. And I'm quite sure those conversations were confidential, and that's fine. We have to respect that. Where some Republicans – and I don't know how many, again, but all it takes is one says, uh, I'm not going to support this. Thus, no need to bring it up for a vote. And I'm fairly certain that last year, some Democrats in the House supported the legislation. No Democrats this year have indicated that they would support. So, you put all that together, it means you don't have the necessary three-fifths vote for the measure to pass the House, get to the Senate. We had a window last year, and we couldn't get it through the Senate. This year, it's off the table. I'm honestly not sure if this will ever come up again. Ever. That may, I know that's a long time. And what, I'm, what I mean by that is, 
I'm not sure we'll have the stars quite in this much alignment for such a measure, for such legislation. Supermajorities, got to have three-fifths. A, a governor who has indicated they support it. The state coffers flush with money. Revenues continue to be very positive and continue to exceed estimates. All that mixed up means pretty good environment to take action here. So I'm not sure we'll see this again. What's confusing is, and I, I know and believe that Representative Lamar is representing the views of Republicans, whomever they are, that don't want to support this on the basis that this is an election year. I do think that's the case, but I'm wondering what districts in this state would cause problems from a voter perspective for a rep that supported this legislation. It's a head-scratcher, honestly. And we may or may not ever know, and that's perfectly fine. But it's, it's disappointing. So what we got is what we discussed before Representative Lamar joined us, which is some moderate reform enacted last year which has two major components, elimination of the 4% bracket. That's 200 bucks to a, t- a year to a taxpayer. And then reduction of the 5% bracket down from 5% to 4%. That phases in over three years. That is certainly welcome, as we've said before on the program. I've Describe it as a down payment on transformational tax reform, but it's not really transformational. It ain't a whole lot of money at the end of the day. Anything's welcome, of course. Step in the right direction. So, uh, ain't gonna happen though. That's what we know. Disappoint. And so this is amazing, Rhino. When you think about it, is you know we interviewed. Right when the session started, Speaker of the House, Speaker Pro Tem Jason White, Chair of House Ways Committee Trey Lamar, all three said top priority, number one, of all the gazillions of bills, if you think about it, top priority. And I and I know they they did yeoman's work to make it happen. But here's the deal, as you well know, these members of the legislature. They don't work for leadership. Obviously, they have to work with them, and their stroke, their influence, their effectiveness is certainly influenced and by leadership and by their positions. That's the way it works. You don't like that? Get your colleagues to make you a leader. Figure out a way to get into that position, or those positions, as they may be. But it's a little different when you think about managing, because you're leading more than managing. 
you're leading and serving in a leadership role in accordance with law and the Constitution of a body, but you don't manage them. They don't work for you. You can't just go say, you will do this, that, and the other. You certainly can, and you can work deals out, and you know that happens all the time. You help me here, I'll help you there. That's the way the, the process works, is, is Trey informs. He's absolutely right. But that is called into question and gets a little less solid when it's election year. And I think, I believe in my heart that the fundamental challenge with with uh, election cycles and re-election is that so many lawmakers at all levels of government tend to act, speak, with an eye towards the next election cycle. How will this affect me in the next election cycle? And the closer you get to that, the more that comes into focus and the more that drives their behavior because they want to get elected. What's the metaphor they use a lot? They take your picture off the wall down here if you don't act right. That'll get your picture taken off the wall if you vote that way or support this or don't support that. And so that, I know many in our state would like to see term limits. That would be certainly an issue that would make term limits attractive if you didn't have that. On the other hand, as we've talked about, you see the scorched earth policy when someone's terming out. We just saw it in Washington with the omnibus bill. When almost with temerity, you had Richard Shelby in Alabama, and I pick on him because of the earmarks that went into the omnibus budget bill. Senator Shelby's state received $650 million on his behalf. And that's why he voted for the bill the way Mitch McConnell told him to, because he knew he could he could um, include his earmarks, embed those in the legislation, as did the other many of the other senators involved in the Republican senators, I think eighteen total, which was sufficient to get the legislation passed, have to have sixty votes to end the filibuster in the Senate. And he and three other Republican senators were one, two, three, four in terms of earmarks, all four retiring. Scorched earth. Shelby even said, I don't care, I'm going to be at home watering the flowers. Remember that? Or something like that. Yeah, exactly. You proved it, Senator Shelby. So if you're running for re-election, you govern different than if you're not. That's the point. So that's, that's the pros and cons of the term limits issue. On the one hand, term limits, well, you're not, you don't have an eye towards the next election cycle, and hopefully you would govern more independent of that, more objectively. On the other hand, okay, I'm out of here, I don't care, I just get everything I want while I can, blow the place up before I'm out of here, I'm going home to water the flowers. I know that's more a more dramatic explanation for maybe what's going on there at the State House. But 
I do believe Representative Lamar when he said, yeah, it's election year. I do believe that's an influence. Wholeheartedly, I believe that. So now, this chance to get really good legislation is out the window, because you don't want to get your picture taken off the wall. Coming right back. Stay with us. With Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk, Mississippi. Everyone, midday super talk, Mississippi. So, on the ceasefire tax line, why in the world would any politician think a tax cut would not be good for their reelection? Well, heck, we we got a we got a, a Congress full of Democrats and a president who beat the drums about increasing taxes on a daily basis. But, of course, only on uh, a select number in society. Those who produce the most income. I do think there could be some concern here that, along those same lines, of course, most of the, the benefit of elimination of income taxes would go to the people who make more money, who produce more income, because they pay more taxes. That's what the fallacy is in the left's argument about the Trump tax cuts in a nutshell. Well, most of the tax cuts went to the rich people. Yeah, because they pay more of the taxes. It's called math. You see, 10% of zero is zero. It's Jethro Bodine ciphering. 10% of a lot is a lot. It's just simple math. It wouldn't be the case if the tax code hadn't been so obliterated through the years, distorted, perverted, to the point where only a sliver of the people pay any taxes. Share the burden, I should say shoulder the burden, of the vast majority of it. So if you're going to put cuts in place, well, you're not helping the people that don't pay any. I think that may be a play here. If you look at the way our, our tax code works, with the elimination of the 4% bracket, income taxes start on all in taxable income over $10,000. We've talked about it on the program. So you may, I don't have the numbers committed to memory, but it seems like it's with the exemptions and so forth in the state of Mississippi, 18, 20 grand, you don't pay any taxes now. So elimination of income taxes isn't going to help. Well, unfortunately, a large number of people in our state have low incomes. We have the lowest per capita income. We have the lowest household median income of all 50 states. So I do believe that could be a play here. Well, you're only helping the people who actually pay income taxes. Yeah, 
I mean, let's get in the Wayback Machine. We don't have a whole lot of time to go back in time, but uh, just a year ago, discussing this very topic where there was a whole lot of pushback from retirees. That's right, because the original bill would have increased sales taxes and phased out the income taxes in a very short period of time. And the grievance was, well, I'm not paying income taxes now. This doesn't help me. What are you going to do for me? So the question is, well, what about the people who work (laughs) and make income? Should we think about giving them a break? And then we had a revision where we eliminated income taxes over a longer stretch of time um, in exchange for uh, not increasing sales taxes. So that the, the, that group of folks who receive their income from uh, as retired folks, retirement income, wouldn't realize an increase of sales taxes, which would not amount to more than 100 150 bucks for the average household a year. And I, I'm not trying to minimize the value of that to anybody. But if, the, if that would have enabled rapid elimination of the income tax for the, our working people, what would that have done for our economy? A lot, I believe. So, but Speaker Gunn and others said, okay, we're, we're going to address that. And they came back with some revisions. Bottom line is that's all off the table now. Thomas, I know you're all bent out of shape about the Republican supermajority. I think you're ignoring reality, Thomas. It's just you're ignoring reality. And there's some folks that think that we should know who had these in private discussions. No, it's not how it works. We're not entitled to know that information. It's not official. It's off the record. If a member of... But there's nothing stopping you from calling your representative and asking, did you support it? Right. Where would you stand? Exactly. That's how it should be vetted. That's exactly right. And if some if somebody comes on this program, I'm happy to ask them that question. I don't know if we have would have any of those uh, in the Republican uh, seated group of 74. That would be on the program that we could ask. Where would you stand on the elimination of income tax? I think I've asked everybody that's ever been on when that was the topic. Certainly last year. And then this year, once we heard the leadership come on the program say, yeah, top priority, we're going to wait till after the general bills, we're going to get something done in the House, send it to the Senate, that's where we are presently. So that's why this is a topic today. Thomas says Trey Lamar owns it 100%. I, I don't know how you could come up with that, Trey. I, I really don't. I'm, I'm sorry, Thomas. I, I, I disagree with that. I don't. I don't agree with that. Why don't you call every member of the House? You got time to do it and ask them where do they stand. In tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.